Coming up this week, off-screen, King Arthur returns with The Legend of the Sword, Anne Hathaway gets colossal, Amy Schumer and Goldie Hawn get snatched, the Indian textile industry gets some machines, there's romance in the secret scripture, a teenage girl goes missing in spaceship, and Iranian pollution leads to an inversion. All those to come and more, off-screen. This is... This is off-screen. Off-screen. Latest film news and reviews. This is Offscreen, the on-screen radio show. Welcome Offscreen, I'm Van Cott. And I'm John Coulson. Standing in for Mr. Allen again. Thank you, Mr. Coulson. No worries. So, we got some stuff this week. We've got, we got a lot on the cards this week. Ooh, so, uh, let's start with some film news then. Um, are, are you aware of a, a woman by the name of, uh, of Mary Curie at all? A little bit. You may, you may have heard of charity organisations in her honour, I believe. Yeah. Well, uh, she's getting a biopic. Ah. She is. And uh, she's getting played by uh, our favourite Kensington dame, uh, Miss Rosamund Pike. Oh, nice. Because that's who you get when you want someone who's, uh, who's classy, but still sexy. Yeah. Posh-tarty. Posh-tarty. When you want to go a little bit gone girl, but you don't want to go the full girl on the train. <laughs> you know what I mean? <laughs> but uh, she actually was a Bond girl as well, wasn't she? We always forget that. She was actually a Bond girl once upon a time. She's the queen of promotional shots as well. Yes, yes, she is, definitely. You, oh, you, you're taking the one off our feed there. She is, she is indeed. Um, but, uh, yeah, so she's doing a biopic. It's uh, it's going to be called Radioactive. Oh. Please, please get a theme song by by Imagine Dragons. Just was, please. Yeah, I was going to say that, That's amazing. There is that song. It's going to be about uh, the love affair between her and her husband, Pierre. Oh. And uh, another character is going to be her young lover as well. So, uh, mm. could be interesting. So, nice. Radioactive, not going to have the Imagine Dragons song anywhere in there, I'd imagine. <laughs> but uh, yes, we've got that to look forward to. Uh, so we, we've got uh, seven reviews to get through this week. Oh, wow. Okay, we're going to fit five in the radio edit. We're going to bump two all the way back to the podcast extras. So we might as well plug the podcast now and, yeah. and say, if you want the, the full full extras package, you want the extra film news, you want those two extra reviews. Because, you know, spaceship and machines, you know, they're worth hearing about it in one sense. And uh, of course, there's the moment of cage as well, which is totally worth it. It's, it's the only reason you should listen to it's the only reason to get out of bed in the morning exactly exactly i don't know about you just moment of cage i wake up in the morning i think oh bills to pay people to see moment of cage get, oh i'll get up now you get out of bed once a week <laughs> out of bed once a week to do a moment of cage <laughs> But, uh, yeah, so pop along to iTunes, uh, Deezer, Acast, uh, am I forgetting? Any of the podcast platforms. Stitcher. Stitcher. Oh, no, Stitcher became Deezer. Did it? And Yeah, that, that's how that one worked. Right. And uh, you can even, even tune in. You can even type our name into TuneIn, and oh. uh, it brings up the actual podcast on TuneIn. Nice. So just search for off-screen, one word. There is one with a hyphen, but that's not us. We're, we're hyphenless. We're hyphen-free. Hyphen light. Hyphen free since... Hyphen free since 93. Since <laughs> <laughs> whenever we started. Yeah. Uh, so yeah, go on there, download the uh, the extended podcast edition. And, uh, well, either way, you don't need the podcast edition for our first review. So that's, that's going to be the magic that is. The legendary magic, of course, that is King Arthur, Legend of the Sword. And uh, I was going to read that bit. What, what have we got next? What have we got? I don't actually know. <laughs> Inversion. Shut up, then. <laughs> <laughs> so, King Arthur, Legend of the Sword. Are you aware of the plot of this one? Uh, yes. 
Okay, well, I don't care. I'm going to give you the plot anyway. All right, cool. Yeah. Okay, so I'm going to give you the plot, okay, in the manner, I'm going to give you the plot in the exact manner in which direct, writer, director, sorry, director, co-writer Guy Ritchie would prefer, right? Right, so there's this geezer, right? Uta Pendragon's name, right? And he, uh, he leaves the kingdom and that, right? Camelot. And, uh, and he's fighting this war, right? Against these, uh, these, these wizard sorts, right? And they're, uh, they're, oh, mages. They go out and call themselves mages, right? And he kills all the mages, and there's these giant elephant things, yeah? And, and then, right, his brother comes along. His brother's like, his brother's name's Ventigorn. And he's, uh, he's Jude Law, right? And he, he rocks off, or Gina, all that. And, uh, and then slays, slays, right up slays his brother, yeah? Right? And so Uta, Uta just down for a He's brown blood, mate. And then, uh, and then the the little nipper, his little nipper, uh, what's his name? Arthur. Arthur's his name. And he gets all Moses off, right? In the basket, down the river, winds up in a knocking shop, gets raised there, flash forward, couple decades, right? And he's now a proper lad. Proper lad is Arthur. And he's like Charlie Annam. You know Charlie Annam from Green Street? My man Charlie Annam, right? And he's, uh, he's you know, he's, he's a bit of a geezer, bit of a lad. He's got his crew, he's got his boys. And then uh, one day, right, so Ventigorn, Jude Law, still geen at all that, right? And he's got his, like, stormtrooper types. And, uh, and right, that one day the water level, like, drops, yeah? You know, you know, water level, yeah, it drops. And then uh, this sword that used to belong to, to his man Ufa, right? And it's there, and it comes out of the water because it's in the rock. And it's, and, and, all right, v- Ventigorn, he figures... Right, the the proper geezer, the proper king, yeah, trueborn, trueborn, he calls him, and trueborn geezer is going to come along, and they'll only know because he can pull the sword out of the stone. So Ventigorn, right, still geen all that, he decides, right, I'm going to find this trueborn sword, right, I'm going to line them all up, I'm going to make them have a go, one one by one, I'm going to make them have a go, and systematically break them down, yeah. So right, old Jackie Brambles, I'm going to I'm going to sort through this, right. So he lines them all up, and he makes them pull out the sword, and wouldn't you know it, right, our man Arthur, right, oh, only rocks up and pulls it out of the old rock only rock something does it does it right there. And, and your man Bex turns up Beckham right Beckham turns up right at that moment you don't think he will but he does he does he turns up good and proper right so Arthur takes that sword out of that stone right like that other film that sword and stone film kind of like that they're ripping that off right and he takes a sword out of stone and it turns out he's the true born geezer right so, what does he do? Gets himself a whole posse together and he decides I'm going to overthrow the king I'm going to rule this gaff right no, no, we're not standing for that in this Londinium. No, 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 no. We're, we're going to take down this king. And wouldn't you know it, here's a clip. I see what you're doing. You're trying to get me to do something razzle-dazzle with that sword. But I'm going to tell you right now. I'm not getting drawn into this mess. And there's an army of you. There's only one of me. I haven't had a fight for years. And I'll talk. I'm happy to talk. But there is no way... I am fighting. Right, you know, um, sorry, I'm so sorry about the accent. <laughs> I promise you that, as you can tell from the clip, it's better than Charlie Hunnam's. What? Like, what? Like, no one knows. Just what happened? No, no one knows. Right, you know the whole thing about the Beckham cameo? Yeah. It's yeah. Been, been widely, widely mocked. You know, it's been critically derided by pretty much everyone that's seen it. I read, but, uh, well, I saw why Beckham looks so horrible. <laughs> It's like, really? <laughs> yeah. But he turns up, and his cameo is abysmal. I mean, he's got two lines of dialogue. He he messes them both right up. Right, It's, it's, it's a white pony in trap, it is. Um, <laughs> I brushed on Cotney Rhyming's leg for this. Anyway, he's he's dreadful, isn't he? It's one of the worst cinematic cameos you have ever seen. It's because he's a retired football player. Exactly. But he turns up during the sword and the stone moment. So it's not like he just turns up for a bit of fun. They drop him into the middle of one of the big, emotionally poignant moments. One the, the great big Arthur moment, but the thing is, as awful as he is, and he is awful, 
I mean, genuinely, or the only way this could have been worse is if it had been Victoria Beckham. Oh, wow. Yeah, that's how bad this is. Um, he's not even in the top ten worst things about King Arthur, Legend of the Sword. Really? He's not He's not even one of the ten worst things. Oh, God. That's how bad this is. This is basically the world's longest, most expensive and uninteresting Ramstein videos. <laughs> nice. That, that's basically what this is. It is like... As much fire. Pretty much, yeah, yeah, exactly. It it is like someone took all the worst parts, all the worst attributes of Guy Ritchie's first Sherlock Holmes movie. Because I didn't like the first one; I, I didn't mind the second. Right. He took all the worst attributes of Sherlock Holmes and applied them to Brett Ratner's Hercules. You know the one with the Rock, which was you, you were like, it's possible, but why didn't you give us a Hercules movie? Why have you done yeah. this this weird Three Amigos thing? Um, but yeah, it is basically that, and you're like, what? Wait, what? So. Considering that it has now been 36 years since the last proper straight-up traditional King Arthur movie, right. Excalibur with Patrick Stewart. And, yeah. yeah. Since you know, 20, uh, 36 years, right? we now have the technology to do an actual King Arthur movie justice for the first time. Right. Instead, what we get is almost as if Guy Ritchie turned around at the pitch meeting when they said do you want to make a King Arthur movie? And he said, I'll tell you what, I will, but only on the condition that you make, you let me make the last King Arthur movie look like a solid gem. Because <laughs> the last one sucked. This is abysmal. Oh, and I mean, really. This, if, if, if you've ever, ever seen a King Arthur movie, if you've read a King Arthur story, played a video game, read a comic book, seen any animated thing ever, if you've seen A Sword in the Stone, yeah. you will look at this and you will think, what the hell was anyone thinking? Oh. The effects are abysmal, the plot makes no sense whatsoever. You know, spoiler alert, if you have a giant snake, why do you send a smaller one in first? And then, just that genuinely is a thing. That's the sort of logic we're working with. It should be worth, it's worth noting as well. This comes from the same studio that has the technology to do Batman justice, but decided, I'll tell you what, let's do the gritty hard edge version, the alternative one first. This is the same studio that has now said, rather than using the technology we have for the first time to make a proper King Arthur movie, let's do the gritty hard edged one first. And the only thing, because, I mean, spoiler alert, it does end with the setup for, hey, here's the further adventures of. And you're like, I don't care. I do not care. This is yet another of that increasingly common phenomena of films that takes a story and boils it down to, he's now a chosen one and this is his origin story. And then we'll make you wait until literally the final frame to unveil the hero you turned up to see. So, you know, see also Ridley Scott's Robin Hood. You know, not really a Robin Hood story, all origin, and the final second, he's Robin Hood. Yeah. Same thing again, only the only way that comparison works is if Ridley, Sc- Ridley Scott had actively hated Robin Hood. In this case, it almost seems like Guy Ritchie genuinely despises the idea of King Arthur yeah. and decides about ten minutes before the end that he's just going to make Gears of War going to do a movie of Gears of War, and that's kind of how you wind up with this. So Jude Law's phoning in the villain thing. Charlie Hunnam is yet again spending two hours trying to work out how to do his accent, because it turns out he can't do this one either. He's in Green Street mode as well, that's the best part. Oh, lovely. Yeah, yeah, he's in, he's in full-on Green Street mode, blood, you know? Anyway, and and then you've got uh, only, only Jaimon Hunsu seems bothered that he's there. There's Jaimon Hunsu and Neil Maskell from Kill List, who's the lead guy in Kill List. Yeah. Those two, perfectly fine. The rest of them, the entire rest of the cast, wow. I mean, I'm glad you were getting paid for it, but could you at least not have, you know, just just thought of the money and feigned some enthusiasm? 
the the voice thing is something I wanted to ask. Go on. Does Charlie Hunnam's voice just just like completely stand out? Oh god, yeah. <laughs> oh, it it, it kind of does. The thing is, it's weirdly multicultural. This film. So Jude Law speaks in an estuary voice, you know, um, as does Eric Barner in his very brief appearance as Uta Pendragon, and. You come away from it all thinking, so, let me see if I'm understanding this. Where, where's Camelot meant to be? It's meant to be in the West Country, but everyone sounds like they're from the pot, they're from the West End. Whereas Londinium is apparently solely located in the West End of London. It doesn't make a whole heap of sense. Right. Try not to think about it. The film looks dreadful. It's boring as hell. It drags on for two hours and six minutes of just an ordeal. Um, it's uninteresting. It will more or less put you to sleep. It could be genuinely called Audience of the Board rather than Legend of the Sword. Uh, the only thing legendary about the film is how truly awful it is. Um, the one person that comes away from this in a positive light arguably is Madonna because Swept Away is now no longer Guy Ritchie's worst movie. And, yeah, I mean... (laughs) Is the sword nice? Well, it works like a lightsaber now. Oh, wow. I'm not even making that up. It works like a lightsaber, and it operates like a special move in a video game. You know that one move that you have to recharge the power before you can use again? Yeah. Works like that. There is literally a prolonged sequence in this film that involves taking the sword to a wireless charging station. Oh, wow. I'm not even making that up. That is actually a thing. Also, it's an Arthur movie that doesn't have Merlin in it. So, make of that what you will. With the latest film news and reviews... This is Offscreen, the on-screen radio show. And we're back. So, Mr. Coulson, yes. where are you going to take me next? Uh, well, I'm going to tell you, I'm just going to say it, and then you'll take us there, but it's <laughs> Inversion. Inversion, which is an Iranian drama. It's an Iranian familial drama with an ecological bent. It's an environmental bent, as it were. Mm-hmm. Uh, this is genuinely, it's not, I say odd, I don't mean to say it's weird. It's, it's unexpected to see a film like this. It is set in contemporary, present-day Tehran. Right. And the idea is, you've got... Um, uh, you've got a, a, an adult woman whose mo- whose elder mother is suffering because of the level of pollution in Tehran, which is evidently quite a bit. She then decides. She's then told when her mother is hospitalised that she is going to have to take her mother to live outside of the city. Right. Right. Now, this obviously is going to involve you know upending her life, as it were, and moving out to a villa that's far outside and basically spending her life looking after her mother. And the whole thing is, of course, she'll do it. You know, the whole rest of the family are all, of course, she'll do it. She has no man. She has you know her job's not that important. She's got nothing else going on. Oh. And of course, it becomes a case of well, you know, maybe I don't want to do that. It's also, at the same time, the mum herself doesn't particularly have any interest in leaving. Tehran is her home, as it were. And it is this great, gripping drama about these, these familiar intersections. And it is, uh, at the same time, has things to say about uh, about the ecological, you know, sustainment of Tehran, about how unpleasant it is sim- just walking by day to day in the city, which is something I have never seen covered in a film before. And well, to be fair, Iranian cinema is a relatively new concept to us. I was going to say, I've, there's not that many that like Iranian films. <laughs> it is the Jafar Panahi one from a couple of years ago, which was I think it was Taxi. It might have been ta- the, the Taxi one. Um, that is one of the one of the few contemporary set, modern day sets um, uh, Iranian films I can think of. They always we had Under the Shadow a few months back, which right. was an Iranian horror movie that was set in the eighties, and that was really really good. <laughs> but uh, this is actually really really something else um i was blown away by it actually the performances are great sorry 
on the grammar. Um, the performances are great. Uh, the direction is is surprisingly efficient. Uh, the writing behind it all is actually quite sharp. Um, but yeah, I, I came away from. I didn't expect anything really going into it because when it's when it's foreign language film, yeah, we don't t- you don't tend to see the trailer unless you have specifically sorted it out. Yeah, it's not like you're going to get this trailer on before Alien Covenant. You know exactly. <laughs> you know yeah, yeah, I mean? it's true. Same reason. So people very rarely have an expectation for foreign films. We kind of just have this, you know, if if you see the trailer, you, odds are you've played it the night before. Yeah. So as I say, you know, your 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 expectations tend to be not 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 low, but non-existent because you don't tend to know the film in advance. Yeah, because you're not aware of it. That's... But yeah, I don't know about crossover potential on this. Whether or not a mainstream audience would necessarily lap it up. Um, I think you you'd have to. I think you'd be have to be interested in a good solid foreign drama to to get the benefit from it. But uh, I say that central performance is is great. I can't I can't recommend it highly enough. Oh, that's, that's great. Yeah. So if it's if it is your thing. If it's your bag, man, yeah, definitely. Go looking. <laughs> Go looking. So, film news then, what we got next? Um, Simon Pegg and Nick Frost. Oh, yeah, they, they they did a film together once, didn't they? They've done loads, and I love them all. You love them all? Uh, even a world, even World's End? Yeah, I've got a T-shirt with all the main... I've admitted that. Yep, got yeah, a T-shirt yeah, with okay. all the, the yeah. main characters on. You, you owned it. up to that. I always remember that. Yeah, no. We didn't ask. You owned up to it. You offered it freely. Yeah, I did. <laughs> uh, right, so they have set up their own production company. Ah. It is called Stolen Pictures, and it is going to develop projects that will... And this is the quote, fit their brand. Beautiful. Right. Because obviously they have a certain tone, they have a certain kind of project they like to do together. Yeah. And they have done things outside of their own, uh, outside the Edgar Wright films. They did Paul together, for instance. Love that film. Uh, which, for all intents and purposes, is, a, is, is not their thing. They are merely actors in it. They the, have written the it together. Cornetto. It's not a Cornetto. They actually, that's the only one they've written together because it's usually Simon Pegg writing with, uh, with Edgar Wright. Yeah. So, the first film they're going to have, however, is going to be called Slaughterhouse Rules. And it is going to be at an exclusive, uh, uh, private school where the the future leaders of tomorrow are groomed, from, you know, from from you, you know young 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 ages, and uh, this is where it gets really interesting. So it's gonna be it's it's gonna be directed and co it's been co written by Christi, uh, Crispy and Mills. Crispy Mills's co writer is my friend Henry. Ah. I'm not I'm not even kidding. So the best part is if this movie sucks, I get to heckle the writer by text, <laughs> which is amazing. <laughs> <laughs> so Henry Fitzherbert, former film critic for the Daily Express, has, has co-written this movie, and you've called him out on it. Oh, I called him out on it. <laughs> but what the best part is, I only found out about this after I said goodbye to him at a press show yesterday. His final press show, incidentally, is snatched. Ah. So, and he said, "Well, I, I'll see. You. I'm off. I've got this. This. I've got this film that I've, I've written that's, that's looking like it's going to do quite well." I'm like, okay, best of luck to you. you know, best to Charlie, you know, and because his son's awesome, and uh, his son Charlie is just uh, is just brilliant, but uh, absolute legend. So, uh, box office top five. Yeah, we should number five. A dog's purpose. A dog's purpose is to make you wish you weren't watching a dog's purpose, because um, <laughs> it's it's a dreadful, dreadful film. It is cinematic bile. It is excrement in celluloid form. It is just the most nauseating melodramatic tosh you can imagine and yet it is made so well that when it gets to that faux emotional stage you kind of it will drag a tear out of you and you think why am i crying because he told you to 
it, it told me to cry and I'm doing it. it this, is, this is wrong. Um, but it's, it's better than Marley and Me. It's not as good as Hatchy A Dog's Life. And weirdly, it comes from the director of Hatchy A Dog's Life, so I can't help but think we're due for another one of these, like he's going to make himself a little unofficial trilogy. The Dog Trilogy. The Dog Trilogy. Lasse Holstrom's Dog Trilogy. Or Lassie Holstrom's Dog Trilogy. <laughs> well played, well played. Number four. I don't have friends. I got family. Fast and Furious 8 in IMAX. <laughs> well, yeah, it's only IMAX 2D, isn't it? Fast and Furious 8. Or Fate of the Furious, as it's, as it's better called. Yeah, they've, well, they've always got a different name, haven't they? Yes, Fast and Furious 5, real heist. <laughs> but uh, <laughs> I hate that so much. <laughs> but, funny story, I was in an Asda on Sunday, and uh, I was walking past the DVD section, and there was this sort of middle-aged couple, and they were at this, this DVD rack, the sort of special offer DVD thing, and there's these reissues they've done with the Fast and Furious on right. DVD and they've, they've put them all into like matching boxes all right, yeah. and, but they lined them all up next to each other and uh, genuinely the wife of this couple so oh my god there's a Fast and Furious 5 I, I couldn't help myself I, I walked up I picked up 6 and 7 stat them and went here you go she goes thank you who are you I went just a man just a man who knows his Fast and Furious and <laughs> left <laughs> This part of me just wished I'd done rocked and went, hello, new friend. Your world is about to change. <laughs> but, but And Fast and Furious 5, of course, as we know, is the best one. Yeah. Fast and Furious 7 is the second best one. Yeah. This would be the third or fourth. This is about as good as Fast 6, uh, Furious 6, Fast and whichever one, sixth one. Um, six. Six. <laughs> but uh, it's, not one, it's not one of the best ones. It is in the upper echelon of them, to be fair. It's in the top half. Is it better than the... Tokyo Drift. Everything's better than Tokyo Drift. The only thing worse than Tokyo Drift was Too Fast, Too Furious. I take that back. <laughs> oh, I had Tyrese and his, his onion eating, but aside from that... But, uh, no, see, it, it stretches credibility. It is ludicrous. But if you're even vaguely interested in seeing this, odds are you've sat through seven of them already. So, you know, swings and roundabouts. Number three. Cookies are for closers. The Boss Baby. And 3D. Oh, yeah, I'm sorry if you sit through this, you're an Alec Baldwin fan. Or five. Or five. Yeah. <laughs> Favourite point from last week. <laughs> but, uh, yeah, that's the thing. I mean, I love the Alec Baldwin stuff. I love the character-based antagonistic story in the first half with Alec Baldwin. And, yes, this has gone up, yes. Yeah. This has actually gone up in the chart. <laughs> I was quite shocked by that. I mean, that so rarely happens nowadays. <laughs> but uh, you're literally just doing the ups oh, with your like, fingers. Like, it's gone up. <laughs> There's a microphone in front of me. Yeah, there's, there's, <laughs> use your words. But, uh, yeah, Boss Baby, I liked it until it just copped out and went for the the old, uh, hey, let's just send them on an adventure. Yeah, that should be the second film. Yeah, like, you want to do a sequel like that, that's fine, but can we just have Glenn, Glenn Gary Baby Ross? That, I'd, I'd rather have that. Number two. Nothing goes over my head. My reflexes are too fast. I would catch it. Guardians of the Galaxy Volume 2. That's my favourite line, isn't it? It's my favourite line. <laughs> yeah, annoyingly, Drax gets so much more dialogue in the second one, and yet none of it is half as funny as he's, nothing goes over my head. He's still great, though. It's he, such a great line of dialogue. I, lo- I love his laughing in the, in the second <laughs> one. <laughs> <laughs> There's a line in the trailer which doesn't make it into the film um, after they've crashed, when he yells up at the sky, Screw you, spaceship! Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it just doesn't make it in. That disappoints me greatly um but yeah he's a lot of fun as are the rest of the cast yeah all a lot of fun it's a great film um and that's the thing the film is a ride is more emotional than the first one i'd argue um i don't think it's got the zippy momentum of the first one because the, the first one was just like a missile that just shot from beginning to end yeah um this does stop and smell the roses but even whilst it's doing that 
it does at least give you some great character stuff to be getting on with. It's, it's such a good film. I really enjoyed it. Mm. What format did you see it in, by the way? IMAX 3D. You did IMAX 3D. Almost in the perfect seat. Almost H22 of I, Sheffield's I, IMAX screen. I was like three out. <laughs> told Kel and she didn't care, but I did. <laughs> <laughs> Just be warned, if you if you book a seat at the IMAX screen and we're there and you've got H22, one of the two of us is going to flip out. <laughs> Number one. Alien Covenant. I'm not free to out. Yeah, I didn't expect that. We <laughs> did this on purpose. You're like, I'm going to mess with him. But uh, no, you, you've you've had the pleasure of Alien Covenant, yeah? No, I, I was going to, mm. and then job. So ah, fair <laughs> enough, fair enough. Um, this is like Alien Covenant is. Uh, well, I will say it's the best Alien movie since Alien Three. But uh, that's only because it really reuses a lot of the elements of Alien, Aliens, and Alien 3. And even at one point resorts to lifting dialogue from Alien Resurrection. When you find yourself lifting dialogue from Alien Resurrection, you have run out of ideas. Okay? This actually does reduce what was effectively a great cosmic coincidence, you know, the whole plot of the first Alien movie, to something where, again, it becomes a sort of chosen one origin story. You know, predestined thing that had to happen. And you sit there thinking, why have we got this backstory now? Remember when Alien was just, they happened upon an alien? Yeah. Now we've got the equivalent of three movies to establish Darth Vader. Wow. You know, it's now taken two movies to establish the aliens. You're like, we really don't need this. We don't need the Clone Wars. Just just get to John Hurt on a spaceship already. Yeah, just unfortunately passing them. Yeah, was, just we're passing by. It was good. Later on there's an ulterior motive. That's fine. We accepted that. We don't need the equivalent of four hours of setup. And it's going to be six by the time this is done. The amount of money it's made. I know a lot of people have seen it, a and the opinions are really, really polarizing. People yeah, really love it. People really hate I've it. Heard, yeah, it's marmite. It, it's marmite indeed. And to be fair, there's a lot of black goo in there. <laughs> With the latest film news and reviews, this is off screen. And so we're back, Wingman. So, where to next? The Secret Scripture. Oh, The Secret I've been looking forward to this. So, The Secret Scripture is the latest film by Jim Sheridan. And uh, Jim Sheridan, once upon a time, was... Oh, he was a top-shelf, top-flight director. He directed he directed some greatness. This is the guy that brought us My Left Foot. You know, those those films your parents used to, used to watch. Oh, right, you know, yeah. Serious dramas that starred Daniel Day-Lewis. Yeah. And then somewhere along the line, he went off the rails, and he started directing things like Get Rich or Die Trying. 50 and Cent. The 50 Cent movie. Sorry, 50. F- 50 Cent, yeah, 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 50 Cent. Or, you know, 33p. Um, <laughs> the 33p movie. <laughs> Is it about that? I've not checked today's exchange rate. And now he's back, and he's found a way to make Get Rich or Die Trying look like my left foot. So, this is an adaptation of the novel of the same name. It stars Rooney Mara, Vanessa Redgrave, Eric Barner, his second film this week, uh, who else? Uh, Jack Rayner, Theo James. You know that guy that we keep getting told is is, is someone that we should be watching, yet nobody cares about? All right, yeah, Him. Yeah. And... Uh, Right, so the story is Vanessa Redgrave is a psychiatric patient. She's in a hospital, and one day a youthful, you know, top-of-his-game psychologist comes along, and he decides he's going to analyse her. He's going to get to the bottom of her case. And uh, she tells him, in, in a way that seems almost lifted directly from the book, uh, the book book-ending mechanism of Titanic, she is going to tell him the story of the... Di- not the diamond, not the diamond, sorry. Uh, <laughs> the story of the missing child, because at some point someone showed her Philomena. Right. Anyway, <laughs> yeah. And this story basically sets her back to uh, World War II Ireland, in which she is evacuated 
migrated from the main city to a small village in the countryside, and she's now played by Rooney Mara, and uh, she finds herself in a love triangle between a fighter pilot, Jack Rayner, and uh, the local priest, Theo James. We have a clip. Tell me where he is. Have you come to take me home? a sickness in people that stops them seeing the truth. I committed my memories to the Book of Rose, my secret scripture. So you can hear all the salty, melodramatic action in that one. And, uh, <laughs> oh, wow, are you in for a treat with this. You know those, uh, those adverts you see? The BBC drama ones, where they just show you clips from like six different uh, drama series on BBC One. They're all intercut, and you're like, "Oh, oh, look, there's uh, there's Saran Jones, and oh, look, there's David Tennant, and oh, look, there's right." Yeah. That plays; those adverts play like they should include this film. All right, because this wouldn't would only feel at home as a like a two part or three part BBC drama. It is. God awful. It is <laughs> melodramatic to the point of being outright sewage. Mm. And nobody, not a soul in the cast, walks away from this unscathed, except for arguably Vanessa Redgrave, who really has been doing this so long now. And we are talking the better part of a century, where you sit and think, of course she can, she could do this in her sleep. And she probably actually is, because the film is that dull. I mean, you've got elements of, of the Titanic thing, the old lady telling the story, and you've got uh, what's basically the plot of Philomena, there's a little bit of the, the, the bit of plot twist from The Handmaiden thrown in there, pretty much every Nicholas Sparks adaptation as well. And you come away from it thinking... Hmm, why don't they hand out vomit bags at cinemas? Hmm. Really? I mean, I've, I've snoozed through some screenings in my time. I own up to that. I, have, I, I somehow didn't fall asleep during this. And I think that's probably the most offensive thing about the film. It didn't even have the courtesy to put me to sleep. And, yeah, I just came away thinking, you know what? Fair play to you, Jim Sheridan. I will rewatch Get Rich or Die Trying because it's got to be better than this. It has to be. There is no way that Get Rich or Die Trying, the fiddy scent movie, could, in my estimation, have been worse than this drivel. It is just... Oh, oh, oh wait, wait, wait. Because you get to the end and you think, oh, my God, it's over. Oh, the sweet release of a black screen and white text and, and the names of, you know, the best boy grip. And, and we can just, we can leave. And then you get to the end and no, no, no such luck. You're, you're getting a specially, especially made Kelly Clarkson song. Oh, wow. You are. And, oh, wow, just... Did you stay for that? <laughs> no, I, I scurried from the building as quickly as I could. There's like colours on the screen, and Kelly Clarkson plays like I, I got. I've got to run. I've yeah, got to. I'm out. I, I can't do this anymore. I start questioning my life choices, man. <laughs> <laughs> oh, it was it was just an ordeal. But uh, so you keep looking at a picture of Charlie Chaplin. I do. Is this the story about the kid? Yes. Right. Are you aware of the kid? No. Right, the kid is obviously is, is Chaplin's most famous, why probably his most famous film. Right, so that and the Great Dictator, um, but the the kid is the story. He's like a street urchin, and he uh, he finds an abandoned baby, and he raises him into a young boy, and years later they're, they're doing scams together, and they they find the kid's mother. All right. right, this is now being made into a sci-fi animated film. 
in which the boy is going to be replaced by a robot and the boy's mother is going to be replaced by the boy who created him. So, yeah, this is going to be Film Nation's first animated film. Film Nation, who've been kind of the up-and-coming little, little production house in the last few years. They made things like uh, The Help uh, and uh, a bunch of Matt Damon movies. Because, <laughs> yeah, they're, they're based in Abu Dhabi, and evidently the UAE really likes some Matt Damon. So, so do I, in fact. So, yeah. <laughs> Who doesn't love Matt yeah. Damon, man? Guy's a ledge. Yeah, total ledge. Bit of a Martian ledge. Literally sat on a Martian ledge. (laughs) (laughs) But yeah, so we've got that to look forward to, a sci-fi animated remake of The Kid. Yeah. But uh, yeah, I wonder how difficult it's going to be to get Robert Downey Jr. to do a role in that movie. But because uh, he played Chaplin once, why not yeah. get him to do it? It'll totally work really well. But uh, so snatched, yes, yeah, okay, snatched, right, okay. I've been psyching myself up for this. Yeah, stretch it out, stretch it stretching out. it out, man. Getting limber, limber up. Was it Zombieland rule number three? Limber up. Yeah. <laughs> do we have to use double tap as well? Yeah, exactly. Which way is this going? I am going to double tap with this movie. <laughs> so this comes from Fifty Fifty director Jonathan Levine. Okay, right. It is. Uh, it's obviously co-written by Amy Schumer, because why wouldn't it be? It's produced by Paul Feig, oh. who, of course, is the director of Bridesmaids, Spy, films like that. And it stars Amy Schumer in her second you know, lead film, her second big movie. Yeah. We had Trainwreck. It was two years ago now. Trainwreck is a movie. I adored Trainwreck when it came out. Yeah, I, it made my top ten of the year. I, I was a really, really big fan of Trainwreck. I saw it three months before it came out, and an, had three months where I got to annoy the hell out of people. There was this movie coming out starring this Amy Schumer ah. chick. It is going to be the bomb. <laughs> and then it came out, and people mostly agreed with me. But they had the same issue that we all now have in hindsight, which is, well, the ending kind of drops the ball a bit, doesn't it? And to be fair, it does. Now, we come to Snatched, and before I tell you how it stacks up, let me tell you about the concept. The concept is Amy Schumer is a young, feckless, slacker type with issues related to her dependency on men. And she finds herself single and a bit pathetic and alone. I mean, we're not typecasting at all here. Not one bit. Not one bit. Right. She's also got a non-refundable holiday booked to Ecuador, which she was going to take with her her boyfriend. And her boyfriend's played by Randall Park, who is one of the two best things in the movie. Uh, Sorry, one of the three best things in the movie. Uh, Randall Park, who uh, he dumps her, and she's left with this thing. She's left with this holiday. And basically, she... Her mum finds out about her her being dumped and embarrasses her on Facebook asking her questions about it. Makes her come and visit her at home. She lives evidently like half an hour away. Right. She gets gets back to the homestead, visits the mum, and realizes the mum Goldie Horn is now a bit of a shut in. Spends her days on Pinterest and Match dot com, and her only company is her cats. I mean, basically, she's both of our mums. <laughs> you know what I mean? She's basically our mums. Hey, my mum drinks. <laughs> uh, Oh, no, that actually does, become, does come up. Yeah, uh, Goldie Horn does have a thing about drinking in the movie. Uh, Amy Schumer, obviously, is a binge drinker because we're not typecasting here. Not we're bit. not typecasting at all. So, Amy Schumer and Goldie Horn go off on this holiday because Amy Schumer wants to, you know, respark her mum's, you know, lust for life. No sooner do they get to Ecuador than they are kidnapped. They are, as Amy Schumer says in the trailer, but not the film, they have been Liam Neeson taken. Wow. And they have to t- they have to put aside their differences. They have to bond basically to make to get along to basically make their way through the jungle and back to civilization. Here is a clip from when they first arrive in Ecuador, and Amy Schumer is taking some selfies. Ah! 
I actually kind of caught a PC. Mom, could you lean out a little bit? It's cute. Here, put this on. What is this? What? That is a rape. Rape. Listen, that's a rape whistle. What? <clears throat> this is a dog whistle, Mom. Oh, Are you well, afraid these dogs are going to rape me? Can is I, that the can, can I just concern? see that? Well, these dogs, look at the dogs. Are, did they look like rapists to you? Whatever. Why don't you just say thank you, Mom? Thank you. Was I'm being raped thing. by a dog. Why don't you just say thank you, Mom? No, no, Amy. Why don't you say thank you, Goldie, for being the only great thing about my movie? Because Goldie Horn is it better than this. She really did. <laughs> I mean, don't get me wrong. You, you, I mean, somewhat amusingly, right? Kurt Russell is is probably showing in the next screen to this. You know, in Guardians of the Galaxy, yeah, where you should be, by the way, where you should be, rather than seeing this. But his missus is the best thing about this movie. And Goldie Horn's basically been in self-imposed retirement for was it fifteen years now? And, right, so she's come back for this. God knows why. Just God knows why. But you know what? In fairness to Goldie Horn, she's not skipped a beat. She's still got that lovable charm that she always had. She's still just an instant star. Beautiful. She she always had that that spark to her, and she's still got it. I don't care how old Goldie Horn is. When you see Goldie Horn, that is a movie star. Yeah, definitely. Yeah, and and she's still got that great comedic timing. She you, you're just praying that Steve Martin's going to pop out at any minute, and <laughs> we're going to and we're going to watch an infinitely better movie. But it never happens, and you're just forced to watch Goldie Horn put up with this shrill, annoying thirty-something who is clearly too old for the things that she's in to yeah. and you watching it thinking good god we were too lenient on train wreck we really were and ike baron holtz pretty good you know he was the love interest in sisters he's pretty good uh, yeah, yeah, yeah right um you know that thing in comedies now like case and i have this i don't know if you've ever heard case and i do it where we have this thing about comedies wanting to seem current so they mention game of thrones yeah yeah, right. yeah, yeah. so we have a game of thrones counter uh two this huh? this ranks two on the Game of Thrones chart. Yeah, within the space of about 30 seconds as well. They both come from Mike Barinholtz. Huh. And, uh, yeah. So, right, you've got a mishmash of different concepts. First of all, it's The Meddler, which was Susan Sarandon and Rose Byrne as the mother and daughter. Funnily enough, Goldie Hawn's last movie saw her co-starring with Susan Sarandon. Huh. They were sisters in The Banging Sisters. <laughs> and so you've got The Meddler to begin with. Then you've got a bit of 40 Days and 40 Nights. Then you've got a bit of Romancing the Stone. Then you've got 40 Days and 40 Nights again. And every single one of those movies is better than this. So there's no taken in it, even though it's referenced. Oh, well, no, they get abducted, but it's it's more like that Eric Barner, Eric Barner for the third time. Yeah. Uh, it's more like that Eric Barner, Ricky Gervais movie, Special Correspondence, than it is Taken. Right. And yeah, you come away from it all thinking, I chuckled a few times. I uh, I laughed. You know, I, I laughed only really at sort of offhand gags early on. The film only truly works when it gets to here's a mother and daughter bickering, and here is you know a movie about something. Here is a movie about the older generation not understanding the younger generation, and vice versa. It is a story about you know millennial ish people and the baby boomers. <laughs> Amy Schumer's not a millennial. <laughs> I mean, at one point, we see her childhood bedroom, and there is a 1992 Chris, uh, Christy Swanson Buffy the Vampire Slayer poster on the wall, uh, and you're thinking, huh, I, do I count as a millennial? I'm not sure. I don't, I don't know if we count as millennial. I'm not sure. I think we do. 
I'm not entirely sure, but Amy Schumer doesn't. Yeah, no, I'm I'm thirty. <laughs> Thirty-three, man. Anyway, but uh, yeah, it is, it is about this. It has stuff to say about you know the baby boomers and the millennials and the why do you keep taking pictures of everything? Yeah, and and you know and asking for approval and the millennial character basically saying, well, you know, it's so that people can t- can tell me what they think of it and and express how jealous they are and it makes me feel uh, validated. And the older generation is, well, you know, I want to, you know, keep my own company. And it is about that difference and it has things to say. Uh Goldie Hawn's character though gets pretty much everything to do. Amy Schumer has no character to speak of other than I don't really know what I'm doing in life. And she clearly doesn't know what she's doing as a screenwriter either. And you put it this way, it's 2017, and we've got yet another comedy that ends with, hey, let's do a dance number, because that's not been done. I mean, good God. It worked in This Is The End, though. It worked in This Is The End. (laughs) But you know what? If it's 2013, you're whipping out Backstreet's back. You know what? Fair play. No one ever expected to see Seth Seth Rogen in white doing uh, Backstreet's back. But uh, no, no, no. The only thing that's snatched in in, in Snatched is the concept concept of better movies. And frankly, you're better off watching literally any of those. With the latest film news and reviews... This is Offscreen, the on-screen radio show. And we're back and dancing. So, some film news before Colossal? Uh, yeah, let's go for it. So, uh, should we talk about Kenny B? Yeah. Kenny B, as Minehorn called him. I'm sure it was Kenny B. Well, I just, but, uh, yeah, I wanted you to say it because you say a surname different to me. And um, Brana? Yeah. Why, what do you say, Brana? Yeah, of course I do. Brana sounds like a breakfast cereal. <laughs> <laughs> It does. <laughs> I was having issues with my fibre intake, so I started taking Branner. <laughs> <laughs> Kenneth breakfast cereal. Yeah, that works. Right, I'll Still begins with me. Right, fine, I'll but Branner, Sir Ken, I met him a couple of times. He's really nice. He's really cool, actually. He always comes across as cool. I met him. The first press thing I ever did was for Jack Ryan Shadow Recruits. All right. And uh, that's where, because I think Tony Earnshaw knew him from... from past things that they've, they've, they've covered and just and taught me that you are to refer to him as Saken. Oh. He's Saken. But, uh, and then I, I did uh, Cinderella a year or so later. I just imagined you them. as Cinderella for a second then and then I was like, no. no. Uh, I've not got the hips for it. <laughs> <laughs> also, I have hairy feet. They don't look good in, in glass slippers. But uh, Arab, man. Arab got hairy feet. Anyway. <laughs> Kidding, you know, they're just the three hairs on each toe. Anyway, <laughs> too much. TMI, man, TMI. Uh, right. So, uh, Kenneth Branagh's doing a movie. He's doing an Anne Frank movie. Right. Right, he's going to direct and star in Keeper of the Diary, based on the novel of the same name. And this is about Anne Frank's dad, who had the diary. You know, presumably you know the story of, of the diary of Anne Frank. Yeah. And uh, this is after, uh, after the events we know of the diary of Anne Frank. This is her father basically trying to find a publisher for the diary. Diary. All right. And yeah, that's that. I, I want to see that. That's that's really something. And of course, there was there was resistance to actually getting it published. And obviously, you know, immediately post World War Two, there was still a bit of a should we really be talking that much about the whole, the whole thing? And yeah, I watched this. 
I'm, I'm intrigued as hell by that. But uh, yeah, Kent Branner as well, that's going to be awesome. He's doing uh, Murder on the Orient Express at the minute. Oh, he's just, yeah, yeah. He's finished production on it, comes out, I think, the end of the year or early next year. And he's Poirot, man. So cool. And he's got the most psychotic moustache you've ever seen. It's because he's Poirot, Because he's Poirot. <laughs> oh, no, no. But there's, there's David Suchet's Poirot. And then there's and then there's just the do you even lift bro Poirot <laughs> that uh, that Kenny, Kenny B is coming up with Kenny B has supersized the the Poirot tash stash sorry he's he's, he's supersized yeah. the Poirot stash as like it were it. but uh, I'm looking forward to I'm also looking forward to seeing Johnny Depp be a corpse but uh, <laughs> grim <laughs> well. You know. <laughs> Oh, that's one. A bit of film news. Have you heard about the new Johnny Depp movie? He's just signed up. Not the one we talked about last week, Richard Says Goodbye, from the director of Katie Says Goodbye. Yeah. Uh, he's doing another one. It's called King of the Jungle. It is based on a true story. I never knew this. He's going to play John Mac... Uh, is it McPhee or McAfee? You know the antivirus guy? Oh, yeah, the antivirus guy. Is it McAfee or McPhee? Uh, McAfee. McAfee, right. He's going to play John McAfee. I never knew this. John McAfee sold up, lost his mind, moved to Colombia, and set himself up in a compound filled with drugs, guns, and hookers. Yeah, guys, loving it. You, that's going to be Johnny Depp in a movie. Fair play. Wait, hasn't he already done that? Well, isn't that just Tuesday for Johnny Depp? Yeah. I mean, he's a single man now. I'm pretty sure that's how he lives. Blow. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> rum Diary. Blow Rum Diary. Yeah. Pretty much any Hunter S. Thompson movie that Johnny Depp's done. I was going to say Fear and Loathing. No. It is, yeah, it's Tuesday. But yeah, it's Tuesday if you're Johnny Depp. But, uh, <laughs> you know. <laughs> Amber's gone. She's taken the dogs. He's got the house to himself. You know, <laughs> drugs, guns, hookers, man. He's Johnny Depp. Johnny D. <laughs> so, from that comical note to one of the most bonkers ideas for a movie you will ever have heard. Right. Have you heard of Colossal? No. Right. Okay, do you remember a film called Open Windows a couple of years ago? No. You it starred Elijah Wood and Sasha Gray. And the whole movie was through a webcam. Yes. Yeah, yeah, it was, like, it was like a horror thriller through yeah. a webcam. Yeah, 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 yeah. And it was actually pretty good. Right, the guy who made that, Nacho Vigilondo, right, he's back, and he has brought this film. Okay, here's the concept. You've got Anne Hathaway, who is this sort of permanently pickled, alcohol-fueled party girl. And she basically sleeps all day, parties all night. She's a failed writer, and one day her boyfriend, played by Dan Stevens, very minor sport norms, basically says to her, look, I think, we should, I think we need to break up. You're not moving on with your life. It's been a year since you've worked. I, I, I don't want to do this anymore. So she decides, um, based on her financial circumstances as well, she's got no reliable friends she can stay with. She's going to go back to her hometown, you know, small-town USA. Yeah. Go back to her hometown, and, you know, just, just kick her feet up in her parents' old house. So she does. No sooner has she gotten there, she runs into a childhood friend who's now played by Jason Sudeikis. Nice. And uh, he owns the local bar. He's inherited the local bar from his late father. And uh, the two rekindle their friendship. And uh, because, obviously, he runs the bar and she's permanently pickled, of course, they hang out a lot. And just as their friendship begins to blossom once more, as tends to happen... She discovers that her drunken antics are being replicated in South Korea by a kaiju who reappears at 8.05 every morning. Oh. 
Yeah, yeah, that, there's a concert you didn't expect to hear, isn't it? Didn't see that coming. I'm looking at a picture, and I still <laughs> You're didn't looking see at that a picture coming. of Anne Hathaway in a kaiju, and you still didn't expect it. Right, so the idea is, she gets drunk every night, and on her way home from the bar, she walks through a park, and everything that happens when she's there just happens to be replicated by what looks like one of the Pacific Rim monsters in South Korea. And she only discovers it on the news when she wakes up from her drunken slumber later that day. Sounds amazing. Right. I'm not going to say any more than that because you can really spoil this film. Okay. Here's a clip of... <laughs> this is weird. Okay, I do have to say this. Right. The film is not so much about the kaiju thing. It is about... <laughs> it's like an indie dramedy about the characters. And to prove that, here's a clip. So you don't remember anything we talked about last night, huh? I got really melodramatic, didn't I? Well, uh, told me that you weren't really on a vacation, that you've been looking for a job for a year, and you've been living with your boyfriend, Tim, and uh, didn't work out. And since you didn't have any money, you decided to move back here for a little while. For the record, I figured out that you were broke on my own, so you don't have to feel bad about it. Oh, well, congratulations. Is there anything else? I told you that if you wanted to give me a hand at the bar, you're more than welcome. You know, make a little money while you were staying here. What did I say? <laughs> you said yes. <laughs> Here are some words you will never have expected to hear from me. Jason Sudeikis delivers a wonderful, wonderful performance in this film. Mm. A genuinely great performance that would have been very, very difficult to anyone even 1% less talented. He is terrific in this movie. Anne Hathaway is very, very good, although arguably could have been, you know, swapped out for Anna Kendrick and you wouldn't really have missed a beat because they're basically the same same sort of performer here. Um, Tim Blake Nelson owns this thing as well. <laughs> he's, he's got a great, great supporting role. And the real star, though, is Nacho Vigilondo, who really, really needs a big, massive studio movie now and all the money in the world. Just give him all the money in the world and let him do whatever the hell he wants because this is one of the best movies of 2017. Hands down. No questions asked. This is it. This is one of the... If this isn't in the top five best movies of 2017, uh, he says before we get to Oscar season, then, you know, I'll be, I'll be gobsmacked. This is astonishingly good. This is a kaiju movie and uh, an indie dramedy. This is Drinking Buddies meets Pacific Rim, literally. This is like the characters from Pacific Rim went out and had their fights and then come home, sink a few beers, and talk about their love lives. That is this movie. It's brilliant. It's absolutely brilliant. I cannot say enough in the way of good things about this movie. I was moved by it. I was whooping at it. I was cheering at it. I was genuinely invested. At one point, I was seriously terrified terrified by it, and not by the kaijus. I can't say more. It is one of the most surprising movies you will ever see. And... Just wow! If you can, if you can see it without seeing a single clip, just going on what I've just said just now, go and see it without watching a single clip. The poster doesn't reveal an awful lot. Advertises a completely different movie, and wow, this is really something you don't know what you're going to get with this, and it is really going to mess with you. It's like it's, okay, so it's that kind of. Oh, wow, it's that kind of movie. Oh, no, no, it's that kind of movie. Like you, uh, Cabin in the Woods did. 
kind of like that, yeah. Cabin in the Woods done as a dramedy and a Pacific Rim hybrid. (laughs) And wow. just And the best part is it it takes a concept, it leans into it just enough to make you think that that it's going in a specific direction, then leans all the way back and says, (laughs) just messing. (laughs) And it's not so much film of the week, it's film of the month, but uh, it's totally film of the week. It is absolutely, I'm, I'm a huge, huge fan of it. And I cannot, cannot wait to see it again. Oh, it's so great. good. And Sudeikis, who knew, man? Who knew Sudeikis had this in the tank? But, uh, yeah, so, you know, <laughs> make of that what you will. So, next week. Yes. Some interesting stuff next week. Uh, let's see. Oh, there's there's that uh, Watching of the Bay next week. Oh. Sticking with the water theme. Yeah. There is also Pirates of the Caribbean. <laughs> Uh, next week so Pirates of the Caribbean 9 did anyone ask for this uh, we have also got the animated film The Red Turtle we've got Diary of a Wimpy Kid 4 did anybody ask for this <laughs> and, uh, we've got The Other Side of Hope we've got Spark A Space Tale we've got I Am Not Madame Bovary and we've got weirdly I don't know if this is a sequel to to another documentary we had uh, late, late last year it was 50 years ago today The Beatles it is the oh. beat. It's a story of uh, Sergeant Pepper, and oh, because we had cool. the Ron Howard one last year, the touring is that yeah, stopped touring, with yeah. Sergeant Pepper. Yeah, yeah. I don't know if this is a follow-up or not. I was kidding, by the way. The the, the Pirates of the Caribbean title is Salazar's Revenge in this country. So, yeah. But did anybody ask? For but it? did anybody ask for this? Yeah. But so we got all those to come more next week. Oh, oh, McLaren. McLaren is next week as well. The Bruce McLaren documentary. Oh, right. Saw it. Had sign embargo. It's next week. Okay. So yeah, we got that to look forward to. If you like your F one, you're in. But uh, yeah, so this has been a Kenny Stubbridge for on screen. I've been Van Connor. I've been John Colson. And we'll be back. Just show me the way to get out of here, and I'll be on my way. You've been listening to Off Screen. For more news and reviews, visit onscreenfilm.com. Okay, yeah, so I told her, I don't care how serious a peanut allergy is. <laughs> anyway. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, podcast extras. Woo-woo. Woo-woo. So, uh, should we talk documentaries for a minute? Yeah, sure. Okay, so two really interesting ones, right? Okay, so uh, and both by interesting directors. All right. So one, of course, is Billy Friedkin. So <laughs> Billy, well, you know what it is? He's William Friedkin, but every time Mark Kermode mentions him to me, it's Billy Friedkin. Yeah, but that's because it's Kermode, and he's yeah, been doing this. So I'm just going to call him Billy Friedkin now, on principle. All right, fair enough. <laughs> 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 Did you know that Mark Kermode signs off every text message with MK? Really? Really? Seriously, does. Do you always shout Mortal Kombat in your head <laughs> no. every time? No, every time he sends me a text, I always go, Milton Keynes. <laughs> <laughs> but, uh, yeah. Anyway, so uh, Billy Friedkin is doing a documentary. Billy Friedkin obviously made The Exorcist. This is, you know, that was his, his, his big film in the 70s was The Exorcist, and he's done a lot, he did a lot since. You know? Quite fitting that we've just mentioned Kermode. <laughs> I know, yeah. Well, that's obviously why he, he's so obsessed yeah. with Billy Friedkin. Um, but uh, he's doing a documentary about real exorcisms now. All right. And apparently was actually given permission to join an actual exorcism as as research for it. Wow, like, wow that's that's got to be something. If you've made The Exorcist and then you're actually at exorcisms, that's... Wow. I mean, could you just imagine the request? Imagine the guy in the, in, in the church getting the request. The exorcist dude wants to go to an exorcism. Isn't it a bit late? I think dude said in the church that often. <laughs> this filmmaking dude. <laughs> Holy Padre, this filmmaking dude wants to go on an exorcism. <laughs> or as he calls it, thrashy throw throw. 
<laughs> yeah, in the meanwhile, Steve McQueen, not the the cool as hell racer guy, oh. uh, the 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 filmmaker who gave us Twelve Years a Slave. Oh, okay. Yeah, he is uh, directing a documentary about Tupac. So yeah, it's going to be interesting. That'll be interesting as hell. I mean, we've got the Tupac biopic coming out this year as well. So it's it's going to be the year of Park. Yeah, what it is. Soundtracks, though. Well, this is interesting. His documentary actually has the official backing of Tupac's family oh. and Universal Music and the, the I can't remember the other company they all that own the back catalogue for his music. So we're gonna get. So we are gonna get the definitive Tupac documentary soundtrack included. Because was that film a couple of years ago, the Jimi Hendrix one that didn't have the rights to the Jimi Hendrix music? Yeah, was that the um, guy from Outcast? That one. Yeah, I think it was. Yeah, yeah, Jimmy All By My Side. Was that Jimmy All By My Side? Um, mate. On. On, Andre 3000. Yeah. But if, he ever, if he has a son, does he become Andre 3001? Um, well, you're saying that like he doesn't have any. What if he's already got some? Well, I hope he's named them and numbered them accordingly. <laughs> <laughs> no. <laughs> Just... Imagine that he's got like three kids. Three thousand two. Come over here. You were, you were so serious when you said that. <laughs> what if you're Andre three thousand? You're not numbering your kids accordingly. You, you're not doing it right. Yeah, you've made your bed. Yeah, you've made you've made your bed. <laughs> now, you, now you must overtly camply lay in it. <laughs> But uh, have you ever seen the the Key and Peele sketch about Andre 3000? Uh, no, I've not seen that much Key and Peele. Oh, there is a Key and Peele ske- sketch in which uh, Key, Keegan-Michael Key, plays Andre 3000. Right. And the idea is the other one, is he Big Boy? Yeah. yeah. The idea is that Big Boy is at a Starbucks, and Andre 3000 just whittles in to this Starbucks in full, you know, the sort of weird Robin Hood kind of look that he's got. Yeah. And the idea <laughs> is that Big Boy is still a relatively normal guy. And Andre 3000 has just gone nuts. Right. He's become the Andre 3000 you know, that, that Hey Yar gave us. Yeah. But Andre, th- uh, but Big Boy is still in Miss Jackson mode. Oh, okay. okay. And that he can't quite understand why he's, <laughs> why he's this way. Why does your breath smell like birdseed? <laughs> it's something he actually asks. And Jordan Peele, as Big Boy, is hilarious because he's kind of saying what we've all thought about Andre 3000 at some different point. It's like, why, why are you dressed like a weird-ass Robin Hood? Yeah. <laughs> but uh, okay, speaking of weird things, let me tell you about this this documentary. Uh, I, I I can't I can't really call it a documentary in good conscience. Right, it's called Machines. It's by Rahul Jain. It is about the Indian textiles industry, and this is a seventy five minute film that literally consists of a near wordless documentation of a single day in Indian textile plant, and. Oh. Yeah, there's a couple moments. Right, the workers are, you know, they have really terrible work conditions. They are mistreated, basically negligence more than anything else. Uh, if they have a sick day or anything, they're sacked, for instance. Right. And and they work for a pittance. And we are told this by the five people who speak to the camera for about 30 seconds apiece, over 75 minutes. The rest of it is the wordless, stationary documentation of workers using machines. That is it. And that's the review because I'm not giving it any more than yeah. that. I'm, I'm not because that that really is the film. That really is the film. It's yeah, it's got a societal point, which is you know these workers being mistreated. That's yeah. that's fair. That is absolutely valid. But um, they they do nothing to further that cause through any kind of engagement whatsoever. So it's like, did you know about this? Oh no, tell me about it. There you go. That's it. No. <laughs> oh, it is. It's like, hey, have you heard about that man named Stan? And you're like, no. And you're like, there's a man, and his name's Stan, 
and that's it. <laughs> that, that, that's that's the thought process that went into this. You know, it's it's, it's just if you, if you. I mean, I I just sat there through it, kind of jaw ajar, kind of thing, just looking at it. What the hell is really? And mm. no, just no. Stop it. Just don't don't sit through seventy five. Don't don't sit through. There's twenty three minutes of this film. The first twenty three minutes is not a word spoken, and that's fine if you're watching Theo and Hugo, and that's an uninterrupted twenty minute gay orgy, because at least you can argue that that can double as porn. But not not twenty three minutes of of people working at like you know a, a press. That's that's it. I mean, the fabrics aren't particularly that nice. It's worth noting. And, and is, it, is it worth noting? It's worth noting. The fabrics weren't that nice. You know, I didn't think the fabrics were all that, if I was honest. I mean, you know, oh, it was Guy Richard, I ain't all that. Yeah. But, uh, you know, <laughs> there is, by the way, there's two sequences in, in, in Guy Ritchie's King Arthur that uh, literally play like the opening credits. So, do you remember Lockstock? Yeah. You know the opening credits? Soap can move a bob or two, but his real graph is in the cards. Yeah. And, and there is a moment right at the beginning of... Uh, of in fact, it's like... It, can, it plays... Can, it, it plays thematically and, and, and narratively like the opening of, of uh, Lockstock, but stylistically plays more like the bit from the beginning of Sherlock Holmes when he sneaks up the stairs and he's plotting all the ways he'll beat a dude up. Yeah. And it's literally Charlie Hunnam telling the story of how he woke up that morning. And he literally goes, well, I woke up that morning, and, and then I had breakfast, and then, and then I went down the market, and then I saw Sally. And, well, and it literally devolves to the point where these three different Mockney characters are naming all the people that they come into contact with during the day. It's like, oh, skinny nose Joe, right? Okay, right. That's Big Steve, and that's Clever Trev. And <laughs> I'm like, what, wait, what? I mean, that clip we played noticeably features the line, I haven't had a fight in years. Yeah. Yet, according to the film, less than 18 hours before that dialogue will have taken place, he was having a fight. Oh. So it's a level of stupidity normally reserved for something like Batman Superman, when Batman says, oh, I thought she was with you. You're like, Really, Bruce? So, who who do you think you were emailing earlier? When, when you were emailing the trailers of the next three movies, who, who did you think you were sending them to? <laughs> the trailers. <laughs> <laughs> they were. They were iTunes teaser trailers. That's what they were. <laughs> but goddamn. But uh, I see you've got uh, Unikitty up on your screen there. Yeah, I didn't want to talk about it. Cause... Are you not a Unikitty fan? I don't think so. No. Did you like the Lego Movie? And it made me feel sick. The Lego Movie made you feel sick. Yeah, like the way it looked. Okay. Were you watching it in 3D? No. Oh, because there's no excuse then. All right. Oh, so- sorry. <laughs> <laughs> no, I love the Lego movie. Uh, everything is awesome. Everything is awesome once right. I stopped feeling like I was going to buff. <laughs> That's your quote of the week. <laughs> Everything is awesome once I stop feeling like I was going to barf. Well, I feel like that's the, that's the review blurb on the poster, John Colson, right there. Um, well, the Alison Brie character, who is Unikitty, okay. is getting her own animated series on the Cartoon Network. Right. Or it's not the anymore, it's just Cartoon Network. What, what? And it's, it's going to be a... I think a, it is Facebook. Exactly. Yeah. Come on, man. Are you above a the? Come on, man. <laughs> You're not a 90s indie band? <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Uh, but no, Unikitty's going to be a traditional hand-drawn 2D animation oh. uh, work. And uh, she's going to be... Alison Brie is not returning as Unikitty. She's going to be voiced now by Tara Strong. Uh, Tara Strong is, I think, as of that announcement, now voicing literally every female lead of every animated series. You're going to have to look at who she is. And she's Harley Quinn. 
She's the she's the voice of Harley Quinn. Yeah, that still doesn't help. So I'm pretty sure Calvin Prickett has a statue of her in his house. <laughs> Not even of Harley Quinn, just of Tara Strong. And there was a she posted an Instagram picture that did did the rounds yesterday of her punching a punching bag that looked like D- Donald Trump. But mm. uh, yeah, Unikitty is going to be serving in her role as ruler of her kingdom now, and she's going to have uh, a whole cast of sidekick characters. And have you found a picture of Tara Strong? Yeah, yeah. She you you look at her and you do think yeah you look like you could convincingly play Harley Quinn. Yeah, but uh, right, definitely has. It. Do you remember the Wolf of Wall Street? I do. All six days of it. All six days of it. I love that movie. How dare you? No, it is great. It just... You can't deny it's long. It's the kind of movie that genuinely made you wish Quaaludes were easily accessible. But uh, (laughs) I love that movie so much. I watch it so often as well. (laughs) When do you fit it in? It's one of the... Because it's always on, like, late-night TV. It's always on, like, Film 4, Channel 4, at, like, 11 o'clock on a Sunday night. And I think, I should be up early, but I really can't stop watching this. I can't say anything. I think I've watched Brooklyn Nine-Nine on Netflix. There's multiple episodes of that, so you can kind of excuse it. I know, but still. Did you hear the... I'm saying I watch it all the way through. Did you hear the New Girl's ending next year, by the way? Yeah, it's like smaller seven-part series. Yeah, it's Have you heard the, It's a bit further in the future. Yeah, there's a time jump, yeah. 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 Right, so uh, Wolf of Wall Street obviously teamed up. Jonah Hill with Martin Scorsese. Um, they are now reteaming. It is going to be a movie... <laughs> Reteaming? Reteaming. Reteaming. Reuniting, we should say. Uh, it's going to be a movie that Scorsese's going to executive produce. It's going to be called Uncut Gems. And very little is known about it. It's going to take place in New York's Diamond District. Uh-huh. So, yeah, you know, we'll just see what comes of that one. Uh, what else is in the news then this week? Is he, uh, is he thin, Jonah? Again. Oh, apparently he has had a weight loss recently. That picture you've got there, that's quite a recent one. All oh, right. So he's he, he's dropped it all off again. I don't know what diet Jonah Hill uses, but I want it. Like, I feel like we'd all be better off if we had Jonah Hill's diet. Because that dude can just gain and drop weight like that. Yeah. But uh, have we talked about, I don't think we have, um, you know Suspiria, the classic uh, Dario Argento horror movie? We talked a bit about it last week. Right, did we talk about the score to that? Yeah. Okay, we did. Okay, sorry, I didn't realise we covered it. But, oh, Powers Booth died this yeah, week. I read that. Yes, that absolutely knocked me for six. For one thing, I did not realise that Powers Booth was 68 years old, because yeah. he's looked the same for about 30 years. Kind of, like, kind of like Tommy Lee Jones. Have you ever seen a picture <laughs> of young Tommy Lee Jones? No, because it's not a real thing. It's not a real thing, no. no. Tommy Lee Jones walked out of the room <laughs> looking exactly... Because he was a full-grown adult, that's why. <laughs> <laughs> he just walked out, craggy-faced, in a bad mood, <laughs> looking to do some acting. <laughs> that's what it was. Tommy Lee Jones was never young. Neither was Morgan Freeman. Uh, uh, yeah, that's true. Morgan Freeman strolled out of the room and said, let me tell you about the story of my birth. <laughs> <laughs> and history was made, and that's how it worked. <laughs> you know? But no, Powers Booth, very sadly, uh, passed away on uh, Sunday night, Monday morning, of natural causes. He was like 68 years old. That's young. I don't know. And you know what really irks me? Because I loved Powers Booth, and he turned up in so many things that I love. Um he had a whole new fan base, actually, because of Nashville. He'd been a character on Nashville while, yeah. while I was running. And I knew him in the last few years because he'd done, he was the voice of Gorilla Grodd in the DC Animated Universe. Oh, right. right. Um, he was uh, one of the many evil presidents in 24. Yeah. Because right. 24, it turned out, could predict the future. Okay. So he was an evil president in 24. <laughs> um, he did loads of things. He was in, uh, uh, what's the Western? The Western he did. The Jim Jones miniseries, the Western, he won an Emmy for it. 
he is he was just terrific and of course the the really inventive one was he turned up in a cameo in the avengers like you know in the avengers on the helicarrier uh, nick fury has those three heads on a monitor that he talks to yeah, yeah, yeah. right the the security world security council yes. as we're told one of them is powers booth ah right and he's the one that gets the most screen time out of three he then turns up in agents of shield in i think it's the third series as that same character Obviously, in the intervening years, the whole Hydra thing has happened. Yeah. He's the head of Hydra. He is the same character to reveal that that character was the head of Hydra. Ah. And he gets to be the big bad of, like, the third season. Wow, that's that's a nice little twist. So, a little uh, MCU continuity there for you. And you know what really irks me, though, is that we will now never get to see Powers Booth in what I think was the perfect role for him. Which one? Lex Luthor. Oh, yeah. As a, just a completely shaven-headed Lex Luthor. Yeah. He would have been amazing. So, thanks, DC. Thanks for wasting our time. Thanks for giving us Jesse Eisenberg. And now, we will never get to see Powers Booth as Lex Luthor. Are you happy now, Warner Brothers? Are you happy? Jesse Eisenberg. Jeisenberg. No one needs a Jeisenberg Luthor. Greatest criminal mind. Greatest overactor of our time. That's what he is. But uh, I'm sorry, I climbed off my pedestal. Now. Yeah, okay. Yeah. <laughs> Do you need a hand? <laughs> I need a hand down off my pedestal. <laughs> but uh, okay, um, let's talk about spaceship. Then <laughs> this is <laughs> this is an oddball one. We haven't even got a clip for this. This is uh, from first-time feature maker Alex Taylor. Has made several short films. Okay, as these all want to do. Uh, this debuted at the London Film Festival like, late last year. Right. And has now found its way, staggered its way to a release. And uh, this is... Right, the story is you've got a, a group of teenagers who are <laughs> what what the press notes refer to as cybergoths. All right. Right. Which is a nice way of saying they all use Twitter and some of them own leather garments. All right, so they're not actual cybergoths. No, but they're, they're cybergoths in the way that Angelina Jolie is a hacker. Oh, right. You yeah. know, I mean, or, or that or Jurassic Park runs on Unix. You know, in that, in that sort of idiotic way that hasn't really been thought out. Okay. Right, the idea is that one of these teenagers goes missing, seemingly abducted by aliens, hence the very clever title. And uh, her father, who is a, her single father, who is a Finnish uh, architect basically bonds with one of her friends. The, the experience caused him to bond with one of her friends, and that's that's really it. And then there's there's another story. There's two guys in a park, and one's in the army, and the one's trying out for the army, so they do a lot of press-ups. Okay. And then there's another one, this sort of weird-looking girl who's got, like, a sub-dom relationship with her boyfriend. And then there's some neon lights. A lot of neon lights. Okay. There is more neon in here than the set of Batman and Robin. Wow. Or the set of Punisher Warzone, if you too want to be... <laughs> more neon than Too Fast, Too Furious. Um, so, funny thing. Right, there's, there's a great performance by uh, Lara Peak, uh, who's a young actress in there. She actually does the wide-eyed... She's the friend who bonds with the father. Okay. Uh, very interesting performance. She's actually got real screen appeal, some actual charisma. Um, and Alex Taylor himself, as the, as the director, he's... I mean, he's a terrible writer. He's an absolutely <laughs> awful writer. I mean, God knows how he... Sh- I don't think he ever showed the script of this to anyone because he'd have been laughed out of the room. Okay. Begging the question of how it's been funded. But uh, but you know what? Actually, directorially, there's something of an Edgar Wright in there. Like, if he knuckled down and honed his craft... Whilst Edgar Wright's off, you know, doing his Hollywood, sorry I dropped out of Ant-Man thing, 
he, you know, he could fill the void. But, you know, he does need a half-decent writer who isn't himself. And, you know, a story might help. Oh. You know, just call me (laughs) old-fashioned. Can't help but think. Because this is a really, really experimental film. And we're talking about, you know, it's five seconds in the room with these characters, then we'll leap to this completely unconnected story. And there's literally just stop happening. Stuff. There's just stuff. It's like the walking stuff, man. (laughs) Things. You know? The one thing the film was lacking is stairs. (laughs) But, oh, wow, it, it it just meanders along. I mean, a lot of it is just middling, just pointless on we. It is just, oh, It's worth noting, by the way, I did a written review for it, and it went out Monday morning, because they showed it as a week in advance. So the ones that you see early, you write the early morning, the, the early week reviews for, for the following week. Right. The idea being that Monday morning comes along and you don't have reviews to write. Yeah. Right, because, you know, it's a screening day. You'd rather be getting up, going to Starbucks, and going to screenings. You know, yeah. that, that's it. And or in my case, sitting in a Starbucks and watching John Oliver before before the first inversion this week, and uh, because I was I was watching John Oliver and I, uh, my uh, my review for uh, Spaceship went out, and I went on. I thought oh, I'll have a look, see what everyone else has said. So I popped on Rotten Tomatoes. There were two reviews. Okay, uh, one of them was really praising. And I think it was like a, an American Canadian critic or something. Like that. And the other one was from Kate Muir at the Times. Right. Now, uh, I know Kate in passing. You know, we 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 chat occasionally. We're not like friends or anything. We, we chat, and um, <laughs> the longest interaction we've ever had was after Daddy's home, in which she said, "I really hated it." I went, "Did you laugh?" She went, "Yeah." I went, "Job done then." And uh, yeah, <laughs> that's a long chat. But but no, I, I said to her, it was before the screening for uh, machines. Uh, I said to her, Kate, listen, we've uh, I noticed that in your review you've used the term middling on we. I went. Listen, it's a complete coincidence. I've said exactly the same thing. And I didn't, I didn't want you to think I'd, I'd like borrowed it from you or anything. I, it's completely a coincidence. So, like, oh, it happens. I'm like, yeah. I mean, no one's ever going to confuse us. I mean, one of us works for a respected broadsheet, and the other one is the dude who invented the moment of cage. <laughs> Followed by the brilliant question, what on earth is a moment of cage? And I was like, I'm glad you asked, Kate. <laughs> <laughs> but, uh, yeah, there's that. So, uh, now it... See it, see it if you to see Alex, Alex Taylor as a director and to see the potential of this this next Edgar Wright, but that's not really much of a reason to see it. No, not really. The film itself is drivel. It's bilge. Yeah. It's hogwash. <laughs> bilge. Love it, that word. Do you know what? It's neither hogwash nor poppycock. <laughs> it's hogcock, poppywash, as it were. It is literally a homogenization of the two. It is. Poppy wash or hog or hogcock, you know. But uh, yeah, it, it's it's bilge. Let's put it that way. But you know what? It's got a lot of neon. Wow! If you need to light your room up, and you just happen to have the DVD of this around, if, if you know if you if you've got no light bulbs at work in your house, they're all blown. I was going to say, imagine what about you know, just the yeah, light. You know, it's <laughs> night in your house. All the light bulbs are blown. The shops are shut. You can't get any replacements. You've been watching Event Horizon. Everything <laughs> shuts down. You're watching Event Horizon. You've blown all the all the lights <laughs> in your house, as has literally happened to you. Um, just stick this DVD on. It will light your house for you. There you go. Oh great! And then when you're done, you can use the disc as a coaster. <laughs> <laughs> and the DVD box can also be a hat. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah. So, oh, Zac Efron is doing a drama, right? right. He, he doesn't really do dramas very often, but he's doing a drama. And I guess what? He's going to play Ted Bundy. Yeah, the serial killer. Yeah. Do you think he'll take his shirt off? I wonder. Yeah, I really wonder. Do you think Zac Efron will get off? <laughs> 
Yeah, you think? Yeah. But oh, funny thought! I, another thought I had during King Arthur because most of my thoughts weren't about the actual film. I was just bored by it. But <laughs> and it seems to last quite a while. So. Two hours and six minutes. The six minutes bit is the bit that really annoys yeah, me. Yeah, it's like yeah, well, we we did the two hours, but now we're really gonna f- with you <laughs> <laughs> for six minutes. Here's Gears of War. <laughs> <You know? laughs> But um, what really got me was... Uh, you remember when uh, Hercules came out in 2014? Uh, in fact, tell like normally, there's normally a procedure whereby you get the proper Hollywood one, and then you get the mockbuster. You get the Asylum version. Oh, yeah. So you know when Thor came out? Uh, the Asylum, because they can only use things that are uh, public domain, where the rights aren't actually owned, where okay. they're public, public domain. And Thor, obviously, is a Norse character. Yeah. So they were able to do their own Thor movie. Right. So they're like, Thor, Lord of Asgard. And it's the crap sci-fi channel equivalent of Thor. Brilliant. Right. When Sherlock Holmes came out, they did a Sherlock Holmes movie. Hmm. And it starred, I think, Yanto from Torchwood. Because he's vaguely British-ish. He's (laughs) Welsh. That's technically English. That's as good as. And, you know, and, and, right, the thing that got me, when Hercules came out, there was, they did, they did their own Hercules, but, I think it was Lionsgate did their own as well, which starred... So you had The Rock as Hercules. You also had Kellen Lutz as Hercules. Oh, yeah, the Twilight dude. And then I think you had Scott Adkins as Hercules for the Mockbuster version. Right. Right. So this is, you know, the company that did, like, Snakes on a Train. And, uh, really? And, yeah, Transmorphers and things like that. Snakes on a Train! <laughs> <laughs> to which you just, like, you just open the window and fling them out. Yeah. What, what's the challenge here? <laughs> I am tired of this wind shear on this train. Is that what it is? But I've never seen snakes on a train. But it really weirds me out. As far as I know, so far, there hasn't been a King Arthur Mockbuster. Right. But uh, I'm waiting for it, because I really want to know who they're going to get to be King Arthur, and if they're going to keep the Mockney thing going. Oh, if they're just like... You know, like Flat Nose Steve yeah. and Fat Bottom Reg, and, you know, drivel like that. <laughs> And if we're going to get a new Transformers movie this year, when uh, Transformers Last Night comes up. Well, gonna, do they just mock the titles as well? Uh, sometimes they really do. Oh, okay. Sometimes they genuinely do. Love it. The weird part is, it's gotten to the stage where they've spun off onto their own. They've got, like, Sharknado and the, and, and the Lava Lantula series now and things like Lava that. Lava Lantula. Yeah, do you not know about this? No. Right. It exists in the same universe as Sharknado. Wow. Because in Lava Lantula... Uh, the central character, who's played by Steve Gutenberg, literally crosses paths on the streets with Ian Ziering as the Sharknado character. And oh who's carrying a chainsaw and says, sorry, I'm dealing with my own thing at the minute, and runs off in the opposite direction. Brilliant. They then did a sequel, because oh, Lava Lancia also doubled as a, a police academy reunion. It reunited Steve Gutenberg with uh, Michael Winslow, who played, uh, you know, the one game, the guy who makes all the sounds. Yeah. 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 And uh, Comic-Con. He's a comic, yeah. It was his, <laughs> and uh, the chick who played Hooks, the quiet voiced one. Ah, oh, right. Yeah. They can shout. Yeah, who can shout? Yes, yeah. exactly. And uh, and yeah, so they, they have that little reunion, and then it, they they greenlit a sequel, and it's called it's out now, and the sequel is called Two Lava Two Lantula. Oh god, that's quality. <laughs> I thought you'd like that. Yeah. <laughs> Unlike the upcoming Sharknado sequel, which, as far as I know, is Sharknado Five Earth Zero. But uh, not the cleverest no. of titles. But uh, it's a film about sharks in a tornado. So I wonder if Zazu Hasselfrau will be back for this one. Because mm. I can't remember if he died in the last one or not. Actually, well, they all Zazu, did Zazu Hasselfrau die in Sharknado Four? I don't know. They all merged together. Well, that was the oh, one. Have I even seen Number Four? The one where they go to space. No, I haven't seen Number Four. They take the shark. <laughs> they, they literally take the shark to space. 
And Gary Busey is a rocket scientist. Is there a tornado in space? No, no, this is the one, in, in the fourth one, the tornadoes evolve into fire-nados and electric-nados and things like that. Oh, so you out. get, like, flaming sharks and electrified sharks and, and yeah, this is a series that people genuinely are still watching. I'm out. I can't complain that I, I still watch them and they premiere them every year on my birthday for some reason. You and Wilson get together and watch them. Exactly. But, uh, well, he bought me a Sharknado pop figure. Oh, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> My favourite one is Chris Wilson is the only dude in the world who actually bought the Sharknado tie-in book, How to Survive a Sharknado. Did he actually buy that one? He actually bought it. That's belt-snapping good fun, though. Belt-snapping good fun. (laughs) (laughs) Well, so, I mean, yeah, I mean, this week has been a bit weird for films. I mean, Snatched was rubbish, with a couple of chuckles and a reminder that Goldie Hawn is better than everyone else in the film. Well, that's all right. Yeah. She's still got it. She's still got it. Baby, she's good. Sorry. Um, <laughs> King Arthur, audience of the board. Yeah. Yeah. Um, which, just goddamn Guy Ritchie. What the hell? Slash Gears of War. Yeah. I mean, Inversion I really liked. Secret Scripture was just rubbish. Machines didn't even technically qualify as a film. Is it? Yeah. Like, it's not a film, it's it's, it's a thing. Is it's it not a film. Is it an it's, art piece? It's not a film, it's a live stream. <laughs> it's a live stream that you're just re-watching after the fact. Uh, spaceship is alternative lighting for your house. And Colossal is one of the best films of this year. There you go. Down so, fair play. And also, Dan Stevens is this century's Carrie Always. So, can we get that Princess Bride remake or sequel or reboot call happening, please? Reboot call. Reboot call. Yeah, reboot call, man. I'm out. Like Predators. Yeah. Like Predators, where you just basically do the same crap again, (laughs) but you, but it's a sequel, and it just does the same crap so they can just remind the audience what it is. And then you go. And and you do, you do more of it. That's, that's how that works. Like Tron Legacy. Tron Legacy wasn't particularly inventive. It kind of just did the same crap again, but did it for a new, young audience so that they could then do Tron 3, which never happened. And now we're going to get Tron 3.5B starring Jared Leto because really? apparently Disney saw the joy that he brought Warner Brothers with his with their franchise and thought he couldn't possibly cock up as as any worst. Mm-hmm. So yeah. So uh, well, speaking of cocking up, here it is: your moment of cage. That's right, kid. You did it. You hit the mother load. You saw me sign for a million with your own eyes, and it's right there, just inches away. All you have to do is just let my wife go, and then come on down and grab it.